All right, welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Time Out Talk. We're your hosts, Raphael Singer. And Hunter Leon. And joining us today is a very special guest, my friend Andrew Kalmeyer. Welcome, Andrew. Let's go. What's going on, everybody? I'm very glad to be here and then talk some basketball with you fellas. Yep. Uh, this is Andrew's second time back on. He's becoming a bit of a Time Out Talk regular. Um, but we had to bring in the Sixers expert because the right. Sixers, and namely Joel Embiid, has been making a lot of waves in the NBA media as of late. Um, just this week, he dropped 70 points, uh, 18 rebounds, and five assists, and a win against Victor Wembanyama in the Spurs. Um, an absolutely insane game. Uh, and Embiid has just been having an amazing season, 36-11-6. Um, I mean, I think he's averaging more points than minutes at this point. I think he's the either the, the only player to ever do it or the second player behind Wilt to ever have more points than minutes. Um, a crazy stat that I found recently is that he has more 50-plus point games uh, this season than he has games with 25 or fewer points, um, which is like just pretty that insane to say. Ridiculous. So, yeah, that is wild. I mean, Andrew, you've probably watched more Sixers than either of us. So, I mean, what have you seen from Joel Embiid and how has he been able to, like, elevate his game, uh, like, from where he already was last year? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and there's a lot of reasons why, you know, people look at the stats. You can compare from last year to this year. Um, his minutes have gone down and every one of his key stats has gone up. Um, and a big part of that is Nick Nurse. Mm. Um you know, even though even though his usage percentage with uh, Doc Rivers was much much higher, um, Nurse has found a way to really open up the floor for his teammates, which has caused him to rack his assists up and also um, draw double teams to get his teammates open. And um, it definitely translates to more open looks for him too, because they're swinging the ball more. Um, and he's definitely getting down the post more than he has in recent years, which is good to see. Um, especially nowadays, like when he first came into the league, it really felt like um, he was going up on big bodies. And a big reason why he dropped that many on Wembeyama was because, you know, with all respect, he can do whatever he wants. You know, there's, yeah. there's no real stop with him in the, on the box. So, um, yeah, I would say Nurse is really the driving factor. Um, and that translates to the entire production of the team. Um, it was their best start this year since the Iverson era. Oh, woman mm-hmm. went to the win the finals. Um, and you know, there's a lot to be said for that. They don't have their strongest team that they've had in recent years. I would say last year the team was much deeper. Mm-hmm. Um, but they've gotten way more production out of their role players than they ever had. And you know, even though Embiid is having a great season, it's also really translated to team success, um, which he obviously seems to value more than anything. So um, it's been, yeah, you know, a great ride for us so far. But we'll see what we'll see what happens. So, yeah, I mean, kind of jump jumping off that, Hunter. Like when you watch the Sixers, I mean, do you see anything different um, from last year? And I mean, what what are your just overall impressions of the Sixers when you see them this year? Yeah, I think you can tell like a team vibe has definitely kind of elevated. Like Andrew was talking about, like part a huge part of a basketball team is buy-in, right? And mm-hmm. yeah, well, you know that's something the Lakers have been talking about a lot lately. It's just buy-in. Uh, it's it just comes to mind, and 
you can tell having Nick Nurse as a head coach has definitely changed the buy-in on this team from you know the Doc Rivers era, as well as kind of moving on from that whole James Harden situation, moving on from the, the drama the, the Sixers have had to deal with in the past even five years. So this is kind of just definitely. a weight lifted off of the, the Sixers' shoulders, and you can tell that everyone wants is playing fun, winning basketball together. Um, mm-hmm. And I think there's, you know, a lot of the the role players have been stepping up over there too. It hasn't just been Embiid. It hasn't been just been Maxi. The guys have been hitting their shots. Um, somebody who comes to mind, who's I saw in, in person um, when I actually saw the Sixers live this year, um, was I think it was Fernand Corkmas. He actually played really well when when I saw him. He's been hitting the the three ball. Um, Furkan Corkmas. That's kind of. A... Yeah, it's kind of a shocker, honestly. Yeah, he's been getting more minutes under Nurse than he usually yeah. is. But, but yeah, he, he, I, for some reason I couldn't come bag. up with a name. I couldn't come up with a name for a second. But Fernand Corkmas was really actually great when I saw them live, or him live, and I, I just wasn't expecting that. I call him the Turkish delight, <laughs> and that was just random, right? That's crazy. Um, I mean, okay, nah, and also, a, also, finally, sure. we have a we have a, a head coach in Philly who doesn't like think Tobias Harris is the best player ever. I mean, that's I also Tobias, a factor. Uh, yeah, Andrew, you he's been solid. Don't get me wrong. No, he has been, and I think what Shaq said. I don't know if you guys saw this about um him saying that uh. Tobias needs to really step into the third player role more um, that he needs. It, it's been hard for him because they sort of have a different scheme every year, depending on whatever other star player they have next to Embiid. So it's hard for him to find his lane um, in terms of what he does on the floor. Doc played around with him coming off the bench. Didn't really work in the way that they thought it would. Um, and it's hard for him because He's a three-level scorer, but he works best, um, you know, driving to the basket. He's got, yeah. honestly, a crazy amount of control and strength going to the rim. Um, I've I have not seen a lot of uh, better players through contact going to the rim than him um, since I've been watching the NBA. And um, you know, it's hard for him because Embiid sort of crowds that area, so he definitely finds his moments. And I think if he can play in a way that's more conducive. Um, to more points production for him, I think that's a, be a big big factor for them. So we'll see what yeah. happens. But it's true that Doc is sort of the cloud that has been lifted off the city. Um, you know, there's more motivation all around. You guys have all seen that clip of him trying to motivate his players <laughs> last year. <laughs> Come on, guys. You want to win? It's like, honestly, I wouldn't want to win if he said it to me. So uh, it's just, you know... Um, you know, great vibes all around. So, yeah. Yes. How has Kelly Oubre been since his return after his injury? He's been good. Um, they have definitely had some – they've had a lot of lineup changes, like starting lineup changes, because Oubre, Batum, um, sometimes Marcus Morris and Harris, they all deal with their own set of issues in terms of injuries. Um, but he's he's had, honestly, great production. Um there definitely been talks about him in years past being a sort of inefficient shooter. Um, and I, when people, when we signed him, people uh, sort of um, straight to the argument of, you know, it's easy for a guy on the Hornets to play really well and, you know, look really good, but he's settled into a role player role very well. He makes the shots when he has to, he hasn't been taking a lot of bad shots, which is really all you could ask for. Um, 
And he's been a great player for us so far, along with Batum has been yeah. a surprising X factor. And Marcus Morris have all been really key role players for us. And Pat Bev um, really bringing the energy for us. So, yeah. Yeah. One thing I, I've noticed whenever I watch the Sixers is like the Nick Batum, Joel Embiid connection is like real. Like, the, you know, surprisingly, all, yeah, he's always the one throwing the entry pass when Embiid's in the post. Um, and I mean, it makes sense. Batum's a really smart player. Um, I mean, veteran in this league. And I think it's important that the Sixers have a guy like that. Uh, I wanted to kind of ask on like that topic, because obviously the Sixers compared to previous years, you kind of alluded to this, Andrew, like they've taken a step back talent wise, but their play seems to have elevated a lot. But as we go to the trade deadline, like now is when the team really has to look themselves in the mirror and think like, do we have enough to make it past Boston, past Milwaukee, make it all the way to the finals? Um, do you think this team as currently constructed is ready for that um or do you think they need to make some moves off the uh to you know shore up the rotation or you know get a one or two more guys that could really take them over the edge yeah um definitely the latter uh i think that they have gotten a lot of great again production out of their role players in the team that they have right now um and they have not been as strong talent wise as they have been in the past um, with the exception of sort of Maxi stepping into the the role sort of tandem to Embiid and and playing off him really well, um, they could definitely use a few more pieces. There are, I've seen a flurry of trade rumors and and different things. As Lakers fans, you guys know, you know, there's always going to be, um, you know, a large set of rumors about who's going where and what's happening. I saw a D'Lo trade to the Sixers today. I don't think that's happening. Um, honestly, I think they just need to round out their bench. Um, they're easily their weakest piece in the lineup right now. He hasn't been playing because uh, he's coming off a knee injury, but DeAnthony Melton, yeah. um, good spot-up shooter, uh, pretty good, honestly, wing defender. He's pretty lengthy, um, and he's definitely played outside of the role that – or outside of the expectations that we had for him. Um, but he still offers a lot of a lot of uh, – He's not the best we could have at that spot. Um, DeJounte Murray was a big um, rumor coming out of, you know, kind of coming into the trade deadline. I wouldn't be mad at that. Um, it, it would just need to be in a way, because I think that Murray's a very unselfish player in the way that he plays. He hasn't really done what he I feel like he can do with Trey Young, because they mm -hmm. both kind of play the point guard role. So if he can play in a way that'll, open up more scoring for Maxi because now Maxi kind of brings the ball up and plays point like what Harden did a little bit more with the pick and roll than Bead. Um, I think it's a great choice. I would mm. lean more towards bolstering the bench lineup. Mm -hmm. uh, Caruso, Brogdon, um, yep. who else? Was, uh, Tyus seen, Jones have all yeah, been Kyle Lowry in the mix is another name for I heard Kyle Lowry. So yeah, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of guards, um, it would be hard to say who would come off the bench in that kind of situation. Cause I think Pat Bev has actually done a really great job of playing mm -hmm. backup point and bringing veteran presence and energy to the team. Um, but my dream signing would probably be Caruso or Brogdon. Um, mm -hmm. They're already a very, as with Nick nurse, but just in general, they always have been a very defensively minded team. Um, and that brings even more energy coming off the bench or in the starting lineup. I think in that case, I would have Caruso in the lineup and then Maxi in the shooting guard position. Um, mm. But him and Brogdon are both such high IQ players, and Maxi still at times 
can show a little bit of, um, you know, inexperience um, yeah. in, in the point guard role, uh, making some bad passes or whatnot. And he's definitely more of a scorer than he is sort of like a, you know, a floor general. Mm-hmm. Um, so anything that can really space the floor for them in the best way possible, I would be the most grateful for. So yeah, Brockton mm-hmm. or Caruso are my, are my ones to go to. So we'll see what happens. Hunter, obviously we just talked about a lot of names. Andrew mentioned uh, Malcolm Brogdon, Alex Caruso. Uh, I mean, Kyle Lowry is a name that's been floating around because he might be on the buyout market soon. Um, Tyus Jones in Washington, another guy to be on the lookout. Um, I agree, uh, Andrew. Like, I think the Sixers really, like, they have a good thing going. Don't mess it up. Just maybe get, like, a backup ball handler. Because off the bench, like, I think Pat has been pretty good in Philly. But, like, I don't trust him to, like, lead a bench unit. Um, really, like, I think if Maxi or Embiid doesn't have the ball, like, it's a little suspect. And so, like, having just a third guy there who can really initiate some offense would be ideal but i mean hunter where do you fall on this do you think that like the sixers should try to go all in on a guy like Dejounte murray or just shore up a few pieces around the margins well i think you have to look at what we've seen in recent history around the league what is winning postseason series and that's depth right the the denver nuggets uh the milwaukee bucks uh like the golden state warriors these are all some of the deepest teams in recent history um, and when you look at the teams that have sort of created, uh, you know, these s- super teams, th- you know, three all-stars, three guys, you know, on 30, $40 million contracts with little bench depth, you get problems. And even if the stars complement each other, you can still have problems. So, you know, I, I am definitely siding with you guys on like maybe the Caruso or the um, the Kyle Lowry's of the world. But I still don't think that solves a problem of, uh, let's say secondary uh, unit management, like second uh, second line of management. Like if you get a guy like Caruso, you, you do not want to be asking Alex Caruso to be leading your second unit. You don't want to even be asking necessarily Kyle Lowry to be asking your second unit. Okay, come your on. Second unit. Come on, dude. It's Kyle Lowry in 2024. Okay. He Ka- is not the Kyle old Lowry. Kyle Lowry. Right. But Ka- what I'm saying is I could I can maybe trust Kyle Lowry to lead my second unit. But what I'm saying is if that's what you're looking for, I think you're looking at the wrong types of guys. I don't think that those guys are going to be the guys to lead your second unit. I think those are energizers on the court. I which... think Ka- come on, Kyle Lowry's like a like he's the guy that you would want to lead your right, second unit. I think I think I think Kyle Lowry's fair, right? That that's a guy yeah. I could consider, but at his price, uh I don't know if he's getting bought out. Um, I, I I just don't know about that. I think Alex Crusoe would be a great fit. Malcolm Brogdon is the guy I would look at, look for specifically because mm-hmm. that's a guy who can lead your second unit. It's gonna be very efficient, low turnovers. Um, so yeah, just making periphery moves to add a little bit of depth to the team is always a good good way of going about things. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Cool. We're on on the same page there. Uh. Okay. So this one is a little bit more contentious, but. I mean, we always talk about Embiid as having like transcendent regular season play, always in the MVP conversations. Obviously, won it last year. Um, whether or not he deserved it, that's another conversation. Um, but the the question with Embiid is like, can he do it in the playoffs? We've seen him like, yeah, you could say, which it would be fair, honestly. Like he has been not at full health. Whether he's dealing with like you know a knee injury, a face injury, we all remember the like the black mask he was wearing. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but, you know, like, is this the year that Embiid finally translates this to the playoffs? I mean, he's on pace, arguably, 
for the best scoring season maybe in NBA history. That's like not even an exaggeration. Like the numbers he's putting up in the era, you take all the like factors into consideration. It might be the greatest uh, scoring season ever. But can he, is this the year he finally does it in the playoffs? I'll start with oh, you. Oh, take the way Andrew. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's definitely been the topic of discussion around Embiid's play, um, you know, and it can get kind of frustrating when he has a great performance in the regular season and it's really only followed up with can he do it in the playoffs? Can he get past the second round? Um, but honestly, I can't lie even as a devoted Sixers fan, like, you know, it's a very valid argument, right? Um, you know, I I do think that it's a valid reason um, for uh, sort of his production in the playoffs that he has had injuries, that he has sort of had this sort of bad luck um, coming into the postseason. Um, and also the fact that, you know, in recent years especially, he's had uh, um, the, the double and triple teams have really um, made him sort of a uh, non-factor in terms of, um, you know, his production on the court during a postseason game. And, you know, while that's all true, uh, the true mark of an MVP and the true mark of the best player in the league and the true mark of a champion is being able to lead a team even when you, you deal with that kind of adversity and deal with doubles and triples to have your team produce and have your team win. Um, I don't think I've seen a worse collapse um, than than last year as a Sixers fan. Um, I, you know, sort of tip my hat to the 2019 season where they lost on that buzzer beater. I thought they played really well and didn't really feel like they sort of gave it away um, as much as as recent years. This year really felt, last year really felt like the year where, you know, they really had just sort of given up. And there's a lot to be said for that. And I think this is really going to be this year and next year are really going to be the times that um, we really see for Joel Embiid, uh, you know, what are, what's in his DNA. Can he lead a team to a championship? Can he be that guy? And honestly, I think at full health this year that he is up to the task because um, I'm not sure if you guys saw uh after that 70 point game, Brett Brown, who was the past Sixers coach, yeah. the coach during the Jimmy Butler era and years before that kind of coming out of the process, he said, I'm passing the ball more. I'm figuring out my place in, on the floor. And um, I do think that's true. Nick Nurse is a championship coach and not in the way that Doc Rivers was a championship coach where he won a championship 10 plus years ago with a stacked Celtics team in a week NBA. I think that, you know, that nurse's coaching style and the way he sort of hasn't been playing these years um, is much more conducive to a championship winning team. So, um, you know, I we really just have to wait and see what happens. I think if Maxi also really develops into a playoff performer, then it becomes a big factor for them as well. So, um, yeah. Yeah, I'm honestly – Oh, you go ahead, yeah, you go yeah. Ahead. I wanted to go back and talk about something you said that uh, 
I thought is interesting is talking about the double and triple teams that Embiid has been facing in the playoffs. I think especially this year, he's gotten much better passing out of those double, triple team situations, finding the open guy, swinging it to, you know, around the other corner for an open three. And I think that's something that a lot of historically good big men uh, struggle with early in their career. And I mean, Embiid's now later in his career, in his prime, but like, you know, a guy like Shaq struggled with that early in his career, like in Orlando and even in the early Lakers days, he really struggled when guys would double, double tip, triple team him. You know, Anthony Davis struggled with that. Like a lot of the best big men just do not have the skills to deal with that. Um, so, you know, I think if he can get over that hump, that that would really be a game changer. And I think he is changing that a little bit. Um, the one thing that does concern me, though, um, is I did see a statistic that showed something like, against below 500 teams and beats uh you know true shooting percentage is something like 74 percent and he's averaging like 37 or 38 points per game and 16 rebounds against below 500 teams and against above 500 teams he's averaging something like 26 or 27 points on 59 percent effective field goal percentage it's just a very stark difference and is it just kind of the situation possibly um but you know is that something that's telling of more to come in the future that you know that's also very possible well hunter he's not called pistons and wizards man for no reason obviously this man... <laughs> listen, no, listen. But... all i have to say about that is that um sorry rafa if you wanted to go ahead if you want to say something you got it you got it all right um is that first of all i i don't i saw that stat i don't know about all the conjecture around it but i I think it might have been inflated a little bit. I'm not sure though. I'm not accusing right, right. anybody I, of I anything. I didn't double check it. I didn't double check it. But I think there is some validity. However, to it. no, no, it definitely is true that he has much greater production. I mean, he wouldn't have scored 70 on the Celtics, or I mean, he did drop like 50 on the Nuggets. But um, you know, <laughs> in terms of playoff success, um, we do need to see it translate. Um, they're going to be the ones that have the defensive schemes that are sort of really going to be attacking him. Um, and, you know, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, the decision-making that he has um, in those kinds of situations when the lights are bright and uh, we'll see what happens. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean – I actually think that this might be the year that Embiid does it. I mean, this is the best season of his career, uh, one of the best seasons ever. I think that there's so many factors that are different now. I think one, obviously, Nick Nurse makes a big difference when you're coached by Glenn Doc Rivers. Um, I don't think he's, <laughs> I think he's honestly lost the title of Doc after all these chokes. Uh, he's just he's just Glenn now. He's just Glenn Rivers. Uh, but <laughs> but basically, I think Nick Nurse knows how to use his personnel much better. Obviously, like. He won that championship in Toronto um, and really just got the most out of guys. Like it was really like the, you know, the homecoming for a guy like Pascal Siakam and like that we like the world was sort of put on notice for like how good this guy is through that playoff run. Obviously, like he got the most out of Kawhi Leonard and like what an all time playoff series that was. And so I'm excited to see what Nick Nurse is able to do with Embiid. I mean, obviously, barring any health setbacks, which hopefully we don't see this time. And I think also we mentioned like getting rid of the cloud of Doc Rivers. I think also this is the first time Embiid is going to be going into a playoff run without like a problematic co-star. Obviously you have to deal with Ben Simmons all these times, but this is a type of the, the guy who will like 
literally like hide in his shell like a turtle or like literally forget how to shoot the basketball after passing up on Trey Young and like never play a basketball game again. I mean, he's getting paid millions right now to sit on the bench with the Brooklyn Nets. This is not a guy that's going to like be your co-star to lead you to the NBA finals. And then you trade him out and you get like James Harden, who similarly disappears in these playoff series. You don't know where he, where he is. He's, he's dropping single digit points in a game seven, not to say Embiid was any better in that, that game, but you know, you need a co-star who's really going to be right beside you, like putting up great numbers. So even if you have a rough game, if you stumble, they're there to sort of back you up. And I think Tyrese Maxey this year is going to be that guy. We already saw glimpses of it last playoffs. And so all the stars. And Tyrese Maxey is also one of the most likable guys. He's just such a likable. Yeah. Like, good Brings so much positivity. Person. Yeah. Yeah. Much better than like James Harden, who, you know, like. You're thinking like, oh man, if we lose the series, is like, is James gonna demand out of and like blow up my team? Pretty much, the answer is yes. By the way, like he's always gonna do that. <laughs> but I think that yeah, all the stars are aligning for like a deep playoff run. It's just a matter of putting everything together. Um, I just really want to see like Embiid do this in the playoffs because I think he's too generational of a player to not have like an all-time playoff run. Every single great player historically has had a run in the playoffs where that has sort of like solidified their greatness. Even if they didn't win at all, you know, like um, in 93, Charles Barkley with the Phoenix Suns going all the way to the NBA finals uh, to lose against Michael Jordan. I'm sure like he he gets like clowned on it a lot for not, not winning a ring, but like, you know, we respect Charles Barkley as like an all-time great power forward because he did put together some pretty amazing playoff runs. And so, I think Embiid just needs that, and I think this is sort of the year for that, you know? Yeah, and if he doesn't end up winning a, a ring in his career, I think Charles Barkley is sort of a great comparison as to the like kind of stature that Embiid would have as a, a retired NBA player. Yeah, well, let's, I mean, for Andrew's sake, let's not, like, put that into that, into the <laughs> no, universe. I'm not jinxing it. I'm not jinxing it. <laughs> but, no, I get yeah. it. Oh, yeah, go ahead. I would love to get your guys' opinion on where you think Embiid would stand if he were to win a ring this year in terms of all-time rankings. I've been thinking about it a if lot recently. Did, if he did win a ring. This year, or just in general. Let's say he ends I his think, career with one ring. Is that with fair? With one ring, okay. yes, yes. I think... Because think about it, at least, you know, right now he is the front runner for the MVP. In all likelihood, he will win it. Um, So, and he'll have the scoring title under his belt. So at that point, he'll have two MVPs, three scoring titles, and a ring. Um, You know, the player, the the list of players that have accomplished those stats is, is pretty low. So I think that he would become a fringe top 20 player all time in that 20 to 25 range, maybe 15 to 20, depending on how the rest of his career were to play out. But I wanted to get your guys' idea on that because, you know, comparable players are people like, uh, you know, maybe Dirk Nowitzki who had a ring and, and had that playoff performance. And, um, you know, people kind of rank him in that top 20 era. So I think, you know, there's something to be said for that. Yeah. I mean, the resume is looking pretty good. You mentioned like obviously three scoring titles, probably two MVPs. We'd have a ring in there. Um, few, I think he made a few all defensive teams, uh, all NBA teams, obviously. Um, 
I mean, yeah, Hunter, like the resume would look pretty, pretty stacked. What do you think? Yeah, I think com- put- compare it to compare him to like other centers. Like which right. all time centers would he be better than? I think he sits right at that Kevin Garnett, Dirk Nowitzki level if he mm-hmm. wins one ring. I think that's a fair comparison. Mm-hmm. Both guys who won MVPs, both guys with one ring. Uh, you know, obviously Embiid is a better scorer, but I'd argue Ke- or not he's not a better scorer than Dirk. I, I want to be real. I think Dirk's Dirk's Honestly. a better I think Dirk's a more well-rounded scorer. I think you you could look argue by arrow whatever. I think yeah. I don't like comparing arrows. I think that it's just different. Mm-hmm. Um but I, obviously Kevin Garnett was a much better defender. So you know, I think that all roughly evens out and he'd end up in that probably top 25 to 20 to 25 range I think is very fair. So compared to other centers, like let's just right. it, would he be better than David Robinson for example? All Ooh. time. That's a hard question to answer what are what's his i probably yeah, say his, no. like rap sheet i'm trying to david robinson what is two two-time, two-time NBA champion champ, defensive player of the year two-time MVP, mvp uh one-time mvp david or, you're right one-time mvp um scoring champ block one of the champ. only yeah. he also scored 70 points in the game he also is the only player to put up a i think a, a quadruple double quadruple like, double yeah yeah so i i think i still have david robinson above him Let's see who are some other right, centers sort of, sort of in that. I mean, okay, probably would, like, if, obviously Hakeem. Or... If he won a championship, would he be better than Jokic all time? That's a real conversation yes. right there. No. Yes. yes, he would. He would. Yes, because he has the same rap sheet as Jokic, and he has three scoring titles in the same era. Mm. What do you say to that, Hunter? I think Jokic is a better, well-rounded offensive player. I think, obviously, he's. Pr- that Embiid's probably a better defender, but I think Jokic is on a to get gonna have be more winning all time probably. If we're if we're talking about like, actually that's actually, yeah, it's hard to, it's that. hard to project because they're say. both they're both in they're both their prime they, right now and they've both always been on good teams. Actually, that's not even true. Embiid in the beginning could trust the process that, that those teams are pretty bad, but like as far as winning percentage goes, <laughs> I think Nikola, Nikola Jokic will end up with a better winning percentage all time. I I think Nikola Jokic will end up being closer to Tim Duncan is when by the time his career is all said and done as far as his legacy. That's a that's a really insane claim because Tim Duncan's arguably a top five player all time. Yeah, I think. Look, as uh, from big man from a big for just for big men, I'm not I'm not talking about all players. I'm talking okay. about in the in the big man conversation. I think he's closer to a Tim Duncan. I think offensively, I think you obviously the, the defense takes away from Nikola Jokic, but. I think. Look, if the if they were to ring, win another ring this year, if we're going about on the argument, oh, if Embiid got a ring, so let's say Jokic has to get another ring too, then. Okay. You know, I I think. Right. Yeah, that's fair. It's fair. It's it's hard to say. I guess I, we'll, there's also we'll much more out, NBA parity. We'll in, find in out tomorrow league. at five thirty p.m. when the Nuggets play the Sixers They're in Denver. Again. That's, that's going right. to actually settle it once and for all. We'll never have to have this discussion again. Yeah. And we're actually, you know what? Where, have do, where does Giannis injury. sit relative to those two right now? And you, you, both of your opinions. Yeah. It's interesting because they really, well, and B doesn't have the ring yet. But if we're making that assumption, then they would all sit in two MVP, one ring conversation. Well, um, Giannis sits in the def- defensive player of the year as well. Defensive player of the year, yeah. 
the point. only player so, to get the Defensive Player of the Year MVP and Finals MVP in the same season, except for Michael Jordan and Takeem. That's a that's a, a pretty good stat. Um, I it's a good question. As of right now, obviously, I think that Giannis would be ranked higher all time than Jokic. Um, he just has more going for him, and he's much more of a two way player. And uh, well, I think Jokic did really, you know, come out of an unfortunate situation, and he was drafted pretty low. Um, so you know, a lot of respect for you know the way his career has developed, but um. You know, Giannis and Embiid really came out of the dark ages in terms of, you know, the the mid 2010s Bucks and Sixers. Giannis didn't have his, you know, his marquee years until at least like four or five years into his career. Um, and yeah, I, like you said, defensive player of the year. You know, that's a it's a very unique stat to have um, alongside Finals MVP and, um, uh, sorry, and MVP, MVP, but. Regulus is an MVP. And I think right now he sits in the Kevin Garnett, you know, range, although he has one more MVP. Um, so I think he sort of sits where Embiid wants to be. Um, mm. And yeah, yeah, that's fair. That's what I would probably say. La- yeah, I, one I will... thing I'll say, or last Go thing ahead. I'll mention is just like, it's kind of crazy how this MVP race just evolved again to like a two man race between Jokic and Embiid. Like, I mean, actually, I think Luca might be in that conversation a little bit, but like his team's not playing that well. Um, Shea's more been... in the conversation than Luca is right yeah, now. Yeah, they've been they've been saying Shea too. Yeah. yeah, honestly, it might just be Shea, Luca, and and Beat at this point. And I, I just think Embiid is so far above I mean, the rest. Jokic. Like, I mean, Jokic. Yeah, I guess Jokic has to be okay. So I guess my whole point about it being a two man race is just down the drain. Like that was. A... I mean, it's 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 a four man race, but there's one clear guy who's running away with it right now yeah no, yeah I, I Shea, kinda he's, feel, kinda, Shea's kind of a foul merchant too i kind of i feel like <laughs> that's so out. true we gotta <laughs> yo you're one to Andrew's, talk Andrew's not gonna like this take but i feel like we gotta if mb gets mvp this season we're gonna start talking about like last season like the 2023 mvp is sort of like that first steve nash type mvp like the one that Jokic should have gotten like I feel like last year's MVP. I don't. I don't think that's comparable. I, th- I think I think last year's MVP was very much a we are tired of voting for Jokic kind of MVP. Even if Jokic did deserve it, I know you can talk about it was a regular season award. We we look back with postseason context, but even in the regular season, I think Nikola Jokic had the better argument for winning that award. And I think MB definitely, when it's all said and done, definitely deserves to be an MVP this year. But I just don't think Embiid is a guy who should be a two-time MVP. I re- I just don't think he should. I would say, at least in terms of um, the last two MVP races, um, that they both sort of have been a toss-up. I think the first year definitely belonged to Jokic, and last year definitely was more of a head-to-head race obviously i'm going to be biased and say that Embiid did deserve it but it's no discredit to Jokic. um they finished uh, it was first seed in the west right yeah and i think second best record in the league Embiid did deal with more stuff off the court i would say in terms of team drama than Jokic did um he came off he was playing by himself with tyrese maxi injury for the first month and a half of the season um he you know was dealing with He's sort of glued with a new co-star. 
and his production kind of stayed the same throughout all of that. Um, I don't think that there's any discredit to the advanced statistics that people bring up when they talk about Jokic. And when you watch him, you can definitely see that his playing style is very, very conducive to a winning team. Um, I don't think that he had the best individual performance last year out of every player in the NBA. I think that Joel Embiid did. Um, in terms of pure scoring, in terms of being a two-way player, in terms of um, sort of holding the fort down um, with the rest of the team sort of in shambles. Um, and that was the argument they made for Jokic the year before that. They were a six seed and he won the MVP. When Murray was injured for half the season, they said, you know, he did more with less than Embiid and he kept his production the same. And, you know, that's why he deserves it. I think Embiid should still get that kind of credit. And I think that Steve Nash versus Kobe Bryant, those two years um, that at least with the first year, um, which was what, 2021, that that yoked just the Steve Nash in that kind of situation because he put up less numbers, had better percentages or whatever, and had better team production while Kobe was more of a pure scorer and probably a better defender. But people really wanted to speak to Nash's sort of, uh, you know, winning playing style and him being the best player on the best team in the NBA. I'd say the difference that is, is where... Kobe had the, Kobe had a better all around offensive game than Nash did, and he was still a better net defender. Jokic has a better all around offensive game than Embiid does. Mm. I think I think that's a clear distinction. And you also have to you you know, think put, that okay yeah Kobe had a better all, all around offensive game than Nash. Nash won the award because his team he took a team that was a you know a, a twenty win team to a sixty win team. That was why he won the award. And Nikola Jokic obviously didn't have that extreme of a, a difference in his his team's winning percentage. I I think the situations are somewhat comparable, but I think I think it's kind of a hard comparison to make to favor Embiid. Yeah. Um... I definitely see the parallel. I yeah, it is really hard to compare across eras like that. Yeah. I mean, but um, you know, we should as I, I I sort of fall now more in the in the realm of we should just appreciate greatness while we have oh, for it. For sure, um, absolutely. We haven't seen we haven't seen as great of an MVP race um, these last like two or three years in a long time, and it's just it's been a pleasure to watch, even with all the toxicity that's come out of it. So, yeah, agreed. It's yeah, I'm not, nice. I'm not trying to hate on them, beat. <laughs> It's been nice. Of course not. Be, of course not. It'd be like a toss up, you know, like even this year, like we think it's going to be Embiid, but you know, like Shea does have a valid case. I mean, Luca's putting up great numbers. Um, but yeah, regardless, we can, I think, move on to talking about the Milwaukee Bucks because they've also been in the news recently um, because kind of unexpectedly, they fired their coach, Adrian Griffin. Uh, the Bucks were 33 and 10 um, when they uh, fired uh, Griffin second in the East, which kind of came as a shock um, because, you know, like it's very rare that, you know, a team that's winning a lot of games fires their coach uh, for some, like kind of no reason, I guess uh, a, a parallel, I guess would be David Blatt and those early Cleveland teams in like 2015, right. When uh, they had LeBron, LeBron, K-Love, they got and, Ty uh, Lue. Kyrie and they got Teron Lou. Um, but that was like an internal hire. Like Teron Lou was already on the coaching staff. And now the Bucks' new head coach is none other than Doc Rivers. So, I mean, I, I'll let you take this Glenn one too. 
Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll get into this a little bit. Yeah. But rep the, reportedly, I mean, we obviously have all these question marks. As well, why would the, the team do this? Reportedly, Damian Lillard was unhappy with Adrian Griffin's offensive style, and it was hard for him to adjust to, to the schematics that Adrian Griffin wanted him to play to. Um, I think that's just... I mean, I'll, I'll I'll leave it as a statement, and I'll let Andrew and I'll, I'll let you take it away um, as to you know what you want to read into it. But um, Nick Nurse was supposed to be the coach of this team before Adrian Griffin, after they fired Mike Budenholzer, and uh, Giannis was opposed to Nick Nurse being the head coach of this team, and he's now the obviously the head coach for the 76ers. They hire Adrian Griffin. Obviously, this is now not working out, and Doc Rivers is the new coach. Why Doc Rivers? Who knows? Um, but now the Bucks have uh, Mike Budenholzer, Adrian Griffin, and Doc Rivers all on payroll. And it's not a cheap contract they're giving Doc Rivers. It's three years for $40 million, roughly $40 million for three years of this man's time. Uh, hey, good for Doc Rivers for making his bread. But uh, questionable front office decisions and also questionable star, you know, star decisions. Like, what's going through Damian Lillard and Giannis's mind? Like, they don't want Nick Nurse or Adrian Griffin, but they want Doc Rivers. All right, I'll, that's, I'll a, let you take that's it all good context, Andrew. What are your thoughts? Uh, yeah, I think that it's all very, very true. Um, I think that it's the biggest indicator of the fact that there is kind of a storm brewing in Milwaukee. Um, you know. Anytime that there's so much coach overturn, you know there's a big issue at hand. I do think that the Bud fire um, made a good amount of sense to me, um, even though he had come off. It was a year and a half off of the you know championship winning season. Um, you could see why they would have a little bit of disfaith in you know the way things are being run. I do think now that you know. Um, sort of Damon Giannis leading this, uh, whatever you want to call it, you know, sort of brigade against Adrian Griffin and getting him out of the front office and using their power as the marquee players on the team, um, you know, definitely kind of speaks to where their priorities might lie. Is it that they think that they need a new coach to win a championship or is it that they feel like, they're not getting enough out of their style of play um, in, you know, in Adrian Griffin's team. Um, and I can tell them one thing. It's that they will be happy, at least in the regular season, with Doc Rivers and the way that he will run a team. Um, you know, I watched him as the Fisher's coach for three years, four years, something like that. And um, one thing that's true is that um, it's pretty comparable to Embiid and Harden is that the usage rate for star players will be through the roof. Um, I did see a stat from last year, something about how Embiid and Harden's combined usage rate was something crazy, like 70% or something like that, um, which, you know, while it can lead to a lot of regular season, you know, success, it's not going to translate to playoffs because, if a team is unexperienced with playing team ball and learning how to find open shots for guys in the perimeter, learning how to play well defensively, learning how to move the ball and get the best production out of their bench unit, Doc Rivers is not going to provide that for you. Um, you know, as someone spoke to earlier, the best, the championship kind of ball is team ball. 
The Celtics play it really well. The Nuggets play it really well. The Bucks with Bud played it really, really well. Doc Rivers doesn't really seem to have that kind of experience. He's played with, um, you know, the 08 Celtics who had, even though some of them were past their prime, a really stacked starting lineup. He played with Lob City, which even though we kind of found out that DeAndre Jordan after the fact wasn't the guy we thought he was, that, you know, uh, a starting lineup that has Blake Griffin, DeAndre, and Chris Paul in it is going to be a good team. He's always had star power, and he's always leaned on that. And, you know, while I don't think it's a bad thing, I think that it really tends to come out in the playoffs. And Bede showed his inexperience last year with learning how to move the ball when he got doubled. Harden showed his inexperience just as, as a player in general with um, sort of filling the spot when Embiid couldn't find the scoring options. And, you know, that just speaks to the inexperience that they had, um, you know, as a team under Doc Rivers. He also <laughs> apparently doesn't really seem to bring a lot of energy to the table. Um, he on, is not afraid to sort of <laughs> – come on, guys. Uh, it's like the Darvin Ham in the pockets, think... but it's just the come on, guys. That's like – that's the line. <laughs> um, and – I forget what I was saying, but, um, you know, he also, he's not afraid to sort of peddle uh, some kind of player beefs, um, his discontent with player production. That is not going to lead to a happy locker room. I haven't seen the Sixers this happy since after they had Doc. Um, mm. And it's it definitely speaks a lot, even if, you know, it's not going to be their season to the fact that, you know, if a team is more comfortable with themselves, then they're going to be better at playing basketball. Um, everyone's seen the stat of Doc Rivers' blown leads, and I do put a lot of weight on that. I do think that he has had some bad luck in terms of injury, in terms of things leading up to the playoffs that might have led to that at some point. But something like eight or nine blown leads over a span of 12 years, it's just unheard of. and. I don't see why anybody would want to hire him again at this point, um, especially to lead a team that, you know, might have like top three star power in the league. Um, but, you know, best of luck to them. I hope it serves us well in the playoffs. Um, if we go to seven against the Bucks, I'm feeling golden. That's all I'm saying. So, you know, we'll, yeah. we'll see what happens. But... I think Ruff and I have talked about – I disagree with actually both of you guys because a lot you guys are kind of saying how this is like emblematic of, you know, their discontent in the locker room. And while I think that's like somewhat true, obviously, like you don't fire a coach midway through if the players are fully happy. Um, I think it's a testament to like Adrian Griffin's inexperience. This is a guy that's never been a head coach in the NBA coming into a season where he has a lot of pressure. Is it unfair for them to fire Adrian Griffin after like, 40 games yeah but like this is a team that you know who knows how long you have Damon Giannis together you want to make the most of it and so you don't really have time to let Adrian Griffin kind of find his feet under him if you look at the Milwaukee Bucks this season in the past 40 games I think his inexperience really shows with how he both runs the offense and the defense okay first this is like a this is a bad defensive team like they're yes. ranked 20th in defense they're the worst transition defense team in the league and that's evident when you watch them. Guys just don't know who to match up with, and it's easy transition buckets every single time. On on offense, you know, 
it's like a, it's a new new style every single time. They don't know what they want to do on offense. And what that results in is like the simple stuff that you would think like, oh, I have Damian Lillard. I have Giannis. Let me just run a pick and roll. They don't really do that. They, there's like not that much of a two-man game between Dame and Giannis, which is insane to think about. And so w- the whole time you watch the Bucks, it's hard for them to get into a flow, to get into a rhythm where you're like, okay, this team's really good. They're going to win a championship. So I actually think firing Adrian Griffin is like probably a good move. Um, I think it just like they probably shouldn't have hired him to begin with. I think, you know, Nick Nurse was right there and like we're seeing how good he's been in in Philadelphia. We just talked about him and then hiring Doc Rivers. It kind of makes sense. I mean, you kind of need a guy who's been there, very experienced coach, has dealt with a lot of big names and, uh, you know, star players like and I don't think there's any other coach um, that has had more experience than that than Doc Rivers. And so it makes sense. I mean, obviously, like there's the the whole stigma around him, like of him being a choker and him giving up all these big leads. But as Andrew was kind of talking about, some of that can be chalked up to injury. Some of that can also be chalked up to his players just giving up on him. I don't know what you're supposed to do when like James Harden just puts his head down and just like kind of sulks or like Embiid is just like, I don't want to play basketball anymore. Like there is only only so much come on guys you could do to like, you know, reinvigorate that team. And so right, but that comes from by it. But that, that's that, also that's... the but it's not just the coach's fault. That's the player's fault, too, is my point. Like yes. Ben Simmons, James Harden, Joel Embiid. These are all got even like Chris Paul. We know is historically like gone missing in some big playoff series like these are all guys that we know like have struggled to buy in or commit to sort of games to series to teams and so that all cannot be laid at the feet of Glenn Rivers. So I say just I'm, call him I'm Glenn. Get... Why even Rivers? Just call him Glenn. <laughs> why, why he loses his last name now? <laughs> I think we got to give Doc a chance, uh, Glenn a chance. I think that you know I think this is going to actually make the Bucks better, and I think this makes them more of a championship threat than before in my opinion yeah that's that's an interesting perspective on it i think you've we've also seen some news coming out that doc rivers has been in the background giving adrian griffin sort of suggestions for the past few months on what to do with this team so doc rivers has already kind of been a little bit of the puppet master or at least trying to give some helpful tips to adrian griffin as of late um so it's gonna be a smooth transition and you know, Andrew said the uh, regular season isn't really what you're worried about with Doc Rivers. This every time Doc Rivers is very successful in the regular season, but he the problem is the in-game adjustments. Doc Rivers is not a good coach for in-game adjusting, and you know, in in series schematics, especially on a team where you don't necessarily have like the greatest basketball minds. Like Giannis and Dame are great players, but this isn't a team with like a generational basketball mind like a, a Rajon Rondo or LeBron James. And the one time when Doc Rivers did have a generational mind on his team, they won. I mean, I don't think CP, you could CP3? say three. No, I'm talking about, Oh, actually Chris Paul is a generational mind. So that's a horrible example. I was going to say Rajon Rondo, but he did win with Rajon Rondo. But I mean, like it, that doesn't even matter. Like, like you said, Chris Paul is a guy he didn't Whoa. win with. We can't forget about Ben Simmons. That was a very <laughs> the generational move. mind. <laughs> <laughs> but um, not realistically, I think that that also matters is having those kinds of guys around to be able to 
help you as a, a coach with those in-game adjustments, like players to be able to notice those sorts of things. And Doc Rivers is not good at that. That's fair. That's, That's fair. definitely true. He he it, is not a, he he will stay with the same scheme through a playoff series no matter what until it runs him into the ground. He does he's not good at making roster adjustments or or bench lineups or anything that matter. Um and he, he's just I not think good that they will have a lot of success. <laughs> no, I, I it's a very short list now that I think about it. But um you know, I think it'll serve them well for a while. I just don't think it's going to be a happy ending for them. So, you know, we'll see what happens. But yeah, yeah Rafa, we'll what, see. what you did? Oh, yeah, we'll say, yeah, what you did say was, you know, you fire Adrian Griffin and, and get Doc Rivers because you want to maximize this Damian Lillard uh, window with Giannis. You don't know what's mm-hmm. going to happen. But the thing is, you're already winning a ton of basketball right now. You're like the two seed in the East. Do you know how many teams would kill to only have ten losses right now? Adrian Griffin was doing fine. You know Doc Rivers is a guy who does not have postseason success, and you, you know, a marker for Damian Lillard and Giannis is going to be their postseason success. So you hire a coach, knowing your players are going to value the playoffs the most of anything, and the the guy you hired is a guy who's been known to fail during the time that matters the most. So but you would I, rather trust, most you me. would rather trust the guy who's a never been there, b lost locker room, and c has already made the team look much worse than it actually should be. Because look, you know, obviously I'll say never you lose, been there. You lose Drew Holiday, that's gonna make your defense worse. It doesn't make you the worst transition team in the league. That's just like that's coaching. I'm sorry, that's coaching. And so like also the offense And effort. Eh, I wouldn't say so. Transition transition defense is an effort thing. That just means okay. your guys got to be getting back. Sure. Okay. There's obviously personnel issues on this team. Like the Bucks, like do not have the best defensive players. But when you're I mean, okay, look. Damian Lillard and Malik Beasley, how are you going to defend any guard in the league? That's just period. But also, you're talking about. Okay. Actually, I totally forgot the point I was going to make. You had something, and I wanted. To, I had a good counter, but I do not remember it. So I'll let you go ahead. All right. I was just going to say any any final thoughts before we move on to to our last little segment here. Yeah, I think we can just move on to the next segment. It's uh, something called I Called Game. It's uh, a new sort of uh, content that came out of uh, Hoop Grids that uh, Ralph and I have been doing lately. And if you don't know what that is, um, basically we're going to have a game from the past in NBA history, a memorable game. We're going to have to get the teams that played in the game, the coaches, um, try to name as many players as we can, and we have to figure out who took the last shot. Yes. Uh, so, uh, Hunter, you want to maybe share your screen and we all yes. just do it on yours? If uh, you do not have screen sharing enabled, so I can, I'm can, i unable to. I got you. I got you. Don't okay. worry. Perfect. Don't worry. Uh, don't worry. That was go. a test. Here we go. And uh, for you guys listening at home, uh, the game, the, the kind of screen still we're looking at is uh, the Warriors versus the Heat. It's a Dwayne Wade game winner, um, obviously in like, D-Wade's like retirement season. They're wearing like the Miami Vice jerseys. So mm-hmm. I guess, well, I mean, it's pretty obvious teams that played. Just want to fill that out. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I'll go ahead and say the home team was indeed Miami and the visiting team was the Warriors. Wow. We got it, guys. Good job. Nice. Let's um, go. What year is this game? I'll, I think I know, but I'll give you guys a, a chance to think about it. Is this 2019? <laughs> I think it's 2019. Yeah, yeah it is 2019. Because Butler wasn't there yet. Yeah. Yeah. 
All right. What well, this is a regular season yeah. game. I think the regular season game. Yeah. Okay, coaches. I think this is honestly probably one of the easier ones. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, Bud and Bud and Kurt. Or not Bud, Spo. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. This is where, this it, gets is where it gets a little tougher. We got to get name all every player who played this game. Do you want to start with the Warriors or the Heat? Let's do uh let's do the Heat. There's less players. Okay. We're gonna start with the Heat. We obviously have Wade. Uh I think we have Have you ever noticed that, that Dwayne Wade's name is spelled wrong in this thing? It, that's just how it's always spelled. That's like actually it's D D W Y A N E. Is that really how it's spelled? Yeah, it's like a crazy like I think we've all mentioned Justice, Justice Winslow, Winslow yeah, was pick, there. I think Hassan Whiteside was there. Uh, Hassan Whiteside was there. was there, yeah. No, he, oh, he was no, in he Portland. Was uh, it's uh know, De- Deion Waiters. Yeah, Deion Waiters. That's a good pick. I think there you um, go. Kel- Kelly Olinick. Kelly Olinick. Mm. Der- yeah. Derek Jones Jr. Was Derek, was- Derek oh, Jones yeah. Jr. there? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Derek Jones Jr. was there. That's good. Oh, little was, was Nurkic still there? Nurkic no, he was Portland. never on the Heat. What? Uh, let's see some of the other photos. Maybe we can get some guys from the photos. Oh, Josh Richardson. Oh, yeah, Jay Rich mm. for sure. Um, let's see. Oh, oh man. Um, it's tough. Who is their starting point guard? Oh, uh, Gorgon Dragic. Oh, yeah, Dragic. Oh, nice. Good pull. Good pull. Uh, let's see. I'm I'm trying to think of like the bubble team and think was there any carryover on that roster? You know. Yeah, good point. I mean, wait, uh, Bam oh, had you, to be on the you, team, right? Oh yeah, Bam Adebayo was definitely there. Was Duncan yeah. Robinson on this team? I would say Duncan no. Robinson was probably there at that point. No, no, Tyler no. Hero was later. I know Tyler Hero was later. Um, I feel like eight out of ten is pretty good. Oh, oh. Is it only players who played in the game? Yeah. Yeah, but maybe... I was going to say Haslam. Okay, yeah. Wait, maybe oh, Haslam. Haslam yeah, play. for sure. Oh, oh nice. 9 out of 10? That's great. Yeah, he, got, he got minutes in that game. Okay, cool. okay. I think we got to move on to the Warriors players now. I think yeah, yeah. getting number 10 is going to be kind of tough. So, we obviously got Steph, Clay, KD. Yep. This is that 2019 team, so probably mm-hmm. Boogie. I don't know if Boogie was healthy at this point. Um... Yeah, but, uh, we got Kevin Durant. Oops. Kevin Durant. And then we have um, Draymond. Okay, now we can, we can try Boogie. Yeah, Boogie, Looney probably played in that game. Okay, so mm-hmm. Kevon Looney, he did play. Um, you know who I think also played was um, Quinn Cook. I think he was on the Warriors at this time. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah, Quinn Cook. Yeah. Um, Let's see. I, I got to watch plenty of Warriors basketball in this era because my brother. Um, I think Alfonso McKinney. Oh, my God. I... What a name, dude. That's a pull. Okay, okay. okay. I, I know it. Laker legend as well. Oh, yeah. Um, I forgot he was on the Lakers, too. Uh, I think Jordan Bell. DiVincenzo was a rookie on the moon. Jordan Bell, I think, was also there. Yeah, Jordan Bell was there. Um, What was that dude's name? Uh, oh, man. I'm going to... White guy, like uh, I think he's Swedish. I'm blanking on his name. You know who I'm talking about? Oh, um, I don't know who you're talking about, but I think Damian Lee was also there. Oh, Damian Lee. Yeah, I, I guess like I know he. Look up, man. Who, who are you thinking Dante about? Even oh, Genzo. are you thinking about Andrew Bogut? Bogut was not. On this he was team. Australian. No, that was yeah, a I think he was. Ago. I think he was on this team. No, he was, he not. was not. And yeah. also, I think. 
I don't wait. Was D? I don't think DiVincenzo was a Warriors guy. I think he was. No, he wasn't the Warriors, but I don't think he. I don't think he was drafted yet. Yeah, I think oh, he was. Like, oh, oh, how um, are we missing Iggy? Oh yeah, Iguodala. Oh yeah, you're right. There we go. Iguodala. We got two more guys. Two more guys. We got this. <laughs> dude, oh, wait, wait, I'm telling... wait. Who is the guy? Wait, what? What is he? You said European dude. Dude, he's European. He's <sighs> sweet. Specifically, oh, wait, wait, Swedish. wait, wait, wait. Are you thinking about Jonas Yurebko? Yeah, Jonas Yurebko, <laughs> bro. He definitely wow. played this game. Wow. Yo, let's go. That's crazy. Wow, that's impressive. Dude, he's like a, a hoops grid regular for me. I because he played on the Jazz and the Warriors. I just remember that. Um, damn, I I don't know about this last guy though. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm trying to rough, think. Rough one. Uh we we, we yeah. already put we already put to Marcus Cousins, right? Yeah, I think so. Maybe okay, look at the photos. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we'll give it one last shot. It's gonna be kind of tough to see. Uh, who's number know. two? Oh, 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 Nick. No, Nick Young, maybe. No way, right? There's no way Nick Young was on this team. I don't know who number two is. He kind of looks like Nick Young. Uh, Livingston was gone by this point, right? Yeah. I'm trying to think. Oh, wait, no, let's try Livingston. Oh. Let's go. Oh, oh my no god. Way. Okay. Okay. Are we gonna just leave this heat player out? I feel like this is gonna be too hard to get this heat player. Yeah, we can uh we can, we can submit. Think okay. about it. Yeah. Let's let's see who we missed. Okay, Rodney oh, McGruder. We were not gonna get Rodney <laughs> There's McGruder. No okay. way. Okay, no that's way. that's solid. And last round, I think we all Let's know see. who took the last shot. Dwayne, Dwayne Wade. Wade. Okay, it's pretty good. Almost a hundred percent. Okay, we Better than ninety six percent of people. That's as bad as good as it gets. That's what happens when you put it's together three impressive. elite basketball minds. Yes, sir. <laughs> All right. Um, I think that's actually a good place to call this segment with Andrew. Uh, appreciate yes. you coming on, dropping some knowledge on. Of course. Us. Thank you for great. having me, guys. I appreciate. Of course, it, it was great. Definitely. Um, and if this if the Sixers win the championship, we'll definitely have to get you back on. Um. But yeah. Of course, don't worry. I'll be here. To, <laughs> I'll be here to serve up some hot takes. Don't worry. Definitely... And I'll hear to make you angry about Embiid. <laughs> We're calling him a fraud the whole All way right. through. All right, brother. Appreciate you hopping on. Have a Take good one, easy. fellas. Of course. Take it easy. Peace. Later. All right. All right. That was that was a great segment. I uh, hope Definitely. you guys enjoyed that. And I think Ralph and I we're going to move on to some of the big news that has happened in the league as far as trades have gone. A lot has happened since we last did this podcast, uh, including the Miami Heat getting an upgrade, trading away Kyle Lowry in a 2027 lottery protected pick for Terry Rozier. You know, this is a guy who's been averaging 23 points, six and a half assists, and a steal a game on like really good efficiency. I think he's almost 50, 40, 90. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but this is a guy, obviously, he's like a, a primary or secondary option uh, with the Hornets, but nonetheless, uh, a, a dog and a great addition to a team that has a, a culture that he'll fit right into. Rafa, what do you think of this pickup? I actually like this this deal for both teams. I think if you're Miami, obviously you get a big upgrade at the point guard position. You know, a, a third or fourth scoring option uh, behind, obviously, Butler, um, Adebayo, and Hakas. I think that Rozier's been having a career year, maybe his best year yet as a pro. Um, putting up great numbers, yes, in Charlotte, but still, as you said, the efficiency's been there. 
I mean, Terry Rozier is a guy, he's 6'1", but he plays kind of above his size, 6'8", wingspan. Um, great, Very good defender, actually. Very underrated defender. Um, and so he's really going to fit into this Miami culture of, like, buying in on both ends of the floor. I think he's going to complement uh, the team very well um, and just be, like, another option, which I think they really needed because I think that you look at the sort of scoring distribution on this team and you're like, well, who else can really, like, make an impact in the playoffs? And I think Rozier is that guy. And getting rid of like Kyle Lowry, who has admittedly looked really, really washed this year. Um, and I think if you're Charlotte, basically you're just taking on bad contracts because you have so much salary, uh, you have so much cap space rather, um, and you're getting draft assets in, re- in return. So you're getting a first round pick, um, taking on Kyle Lowry's bad contract, probably going to buy him out um, and losing Terry Rozier, which I-, I think is fair. I don't think you're going to get too much more for for Terry Um but overall, yeah, I think this this deal is great for both teams. Um, yeah, this is if you're the Charlotte, you'd rather this than just let them walk. At least you get a first round pick out of it. Um, you know, just trending in a new direction for them. And they said the next player they want to kind of shed is Gordon Hayward. Yeah, um, I don't know who would be willing to take that contract on, or who would honestly even need Gordon Hayward uh, with one year left on his forty million dollar a year contract. Crazy to say out loud. Um, but, you know, just from Miami's perspective, like you said, uh, just a really excellent pickup of the guy who's a dog, plays bigger than he actually is. Um, and I think I compare him a lot to like sort of like a Dennis Schroeder with a jump shot in a lot of ways. Mm. Um, like just very aggressive, can defend full court. Um, it's going to get some of those like just those passing lane steals when the you know the other team's being lazy like those are the kinds of guys miami thrives with in the transition um and i think this really does elevate this miami team like as as minute as this may seem i think the difference between kyle lowry and terry rozier is like a legitimate like bid to the finals yeah and i think miami is always going to be a dark horse for um making the finals i think this really bolsters their chances um I think I think we can move on. There's a lot to get through. Um, and it's already been a bit of a long episode. So yeah. let's keep talking about another really monumental um trade, and that's uh Indiana, who received uh Pascal Siakam from the Raptors uh for Bruce Brown and three first round picks. Uh I guess like I'll start by saying this, Hunter. Do you think this really moves the needle on Indiana? Obviously, phenomenal offensive team spearheaded by uh Tyrese Halliburton, but do you think this really moves the needle? Do you think that this raises their ceiling significantly, or are you not really a big fan of this move? Also considering the fact that Siakam is going to be a free agent after this year. Yeah. Uh, it's hard to say. I think Bruce Brown is something you kind of had to let go. Uh, he's a great role player, but he's not going to move the needle for you to get you to, you know, another round of the postseason. but I don't think Siakam is that guy either. I think it's a nice pairing. I like the idea. They, they complement each other, but at the same time, like Siakam and Halliburton isn't a recipe to get you past a team like the Bucks, the Sixers, or even the Heat. Uh, I think, especially you know, the, with the Heat, you know, put, being able to put a lot of pressure on guards, uh, you know, that's something that might uh, kind of stumble uh, Tyrese. And you know, when Tyrese is having those moments where he needs somebody to really back him up and and be there for him and be his second guy. I don't think Pascal Siakam is the type of guy who is necessarily going to always be there to step up in those big moments. Um, so I, I unfortunately don't think this really moves the needle for them too much. And I think that might have even overpaid a little bit for Siakam. I like this for the Raptors. You're getting past like this 
era of you know the the, the remnants of the Kawhi Leonard uh, you know 2019 team, and you get three first round picks in return. Likely they're going to be late round. Uh, you know, late first round picks because Indiana is going to be a, a winning team, uh, but you still get three firsts out of it. Um, yeah, I honestly feel disagree. I disagree. I think this is actually a good move for Indiana as well. I think that, you know, at first it shows buy-in from the part of the organization. The Indiana Pacers are saying to Tyrese Halliburton, hey, while you're here, we're going to try to surround you with as much talent as you need so you can win. And we're going to, you know, take the risks and make the big swings to put you in a position to win. Um, I mean, you compare that to, like, say, Charlotte with LaMelo Ball or even the Portland Trailblazers with Damian Lillard, um, where those organizations were reluctant or outright refused to surround them with the the necessary talent. And obviously Dame left uh, to go to Miami. And, uh, you know, maybe we'll see something similar with LaMelo if things don't change. So that one is a very underrated, implicit benefit of this trade. And two, I think that the pairing between... Halliburton and, and Siakam is kind of a match made in heaven. Both are kind of offensive juggernauts. I mean, Siakam really just tears up the lane. Uh, great mid-range player. Yes, he's not the best three-point shooter and is kind of struggling this year uh, from beyond the arc. But like, you have enough shooting on that team with Halliburton, Buddy Heald, Miles Turner, um, Matherin, like a whole list of shooters on that on that squad. So I'm not concerned about the shooting. I think it's going to boost their offense already. And the last thing I'll say is like. You said, I don't know if this puts them above, you know, Milwaukee even. And I'm like, wait a second. I know you're not talking about the Milwaukee Bucks that are one in four with the Indiana Pacers this year. I think the Pacers have proven they can take down, you know, the top opponents in the East. I mean, they were obviously, um, you know, playing against the, uh, like they were making waves in the in-season tournaments. And, uh, you know, like, I, I think we got to give the Indiana Pacers a little bit more credit. Uh, I think that they, they're sealing this year for me. They could be a dark horse conference finals team. I could definitely see that. Um, and I think this move was was a very wise one. Uh, and I think that, sorry, the actual last thing I'll say, mm-hmm. I think they'll be able to retain Siakam in free agency. Obviously, there's a couple teams out there that have been clearing cap space. Like we could see a world where Detroit gets Siakam because they just have a ton of cap space. But I think that, you know, factoring in bird rights and everything like that, if you pair up Siakam and Halliburton for the long term, I think that's going to be, you know, a really, really powerful combo. Oh, yeah. I think you made some fair points. Like, I wasn't really thinking about the fact, like, it just shows that buy-in. Like you were saying, like, you want to show that to your star player. You want to show that you want to surround them with talent and keep Tyrese happy. Like, I think that's the most valuable thing out of this, even if the, even if it doesn't necessarily make you the favorite. Um, I think we can move on, though, talk about the Cavs. They didn't yeah. really have any big trade news, but I think we do have to talk about how well they've been playing, especially, you know, with Evan Mobley and Darius Garland still being out right now. The, the number two defense and the number nine offense, um, they've just been playing really good overall basketball. Donovan Mitchell's been hooping, um, Jared Allen's been hooping. What do you what do you see from this team? Uh, and then we'll get into to some other funny news that uh, we have to talk about the Cavs. Yeah, I mean, first I'll just say like. The, the Cavs have really like turned a corner. I mean, I think that like we were sort of, you know, predicting like doom and gloom for Cleveland after Garland and Mobley um, were, you know, out with injury. But I think they've really stepped it up and have been playing excellence, um, which I think could mean a lot of things for Cleveland. I think that what it's showing is that, A, I think Jarrett Allen is 
the guy to to keep between him and Evan Mobley. I think that mm-hmm. he's better offensively and defensively. I think there's no question about that, and we're seeing that during this stretch right here. And so I also think that you know the pairing between Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell is a little awkward. I think that you know when all four of them are on the court together, it's a little hard to get like you know these two very ball dominant guards, um, a non shooting four and a defensively-minded five to all kind of gel together, it makes, like, the Donovan Mitchell at point guard fit seems much better, especially because you have so much shooting on this team. Um, But then do you not think... Yeah, go ahead. sorry. I was going to say, do you not think if you end up with a team with, you know, some sort of periphery guys centered around Donovan Mitchell and Jared Allen, you have a a worse version of Rico Bear and Donovan Mitchell? No, because I think Jared Allen is, like, a, a much more versatile defender than Rudy Gobert. I think that, you know... Rudy Gobert is much more, like, much less able to to stretch out to to guard guys smaller than him. I also think offensively, Jared Allen has a much deeper bag than Rudy. I think that while Rudy's only really been good in like very limited post contacts or you know just getting a lob off the pick and roll, I think that Jared Allen actually has like a more polished and developed offensive game where he can sort of get to his own offense. Um, so. I think that, no, in, in very important ways, those teams would be different. Yeah, I mean, I think that's fair. I just think when you look at Jared Allen, you can say maybe overall he's got better aspects to his game. But I think for what Rudy Gobert does, Rudy Gobert's better at that. Um, sure, it's it's mean... less easy to expose Jared Allen. But even let's say you say, you know, we can get a lot for Evan Mobley. He's obviously got a lot of potential. And maybe we find a, you know, a nice new home for Darius Garland to be a starting point guard, all-star level bid kind of guy, maybe a guy that uh, a team that needs a third guy and you get a bunch of role players back because you're probably not going to be getting stars in return. I, I think that's just, I don't know that you're any better off than the Utah jazz were in 2020 or 2019. I mean, to think that you couldn't get a good package for even just Evan Mobley, who's like established himself as a premier defensive player in this league. Like I think it's a little unfair. I think you could get a great package, but I mean, talking about the Cavs more immediately, I think that, you know, they are sort of quelling any doubts. I think their defense has really been what's um, been anchoring them down. I mean, obviously number two behind New York right now. Um, They've been the best rebounding team in the NBA by far. That's in large part due to Tristan Thompson, actually, who's who's always been a great offensive rebounder throughout his whole career. Um, but he actually was suspended for 25 games for using performance enhancing drugs, which is kind of insane. Cause like, you're like the eighth <laughs> man, ninth man, 10th man on that roster. Like, why are you taking PEDs? Um, bro, this man's Cle- performance was mid the, the, the drugs basically said no. <laughs> I mean, he, he was actually playing well in Cleveland, like, but, um, basically yeah. what ended up happening was the NBA saw Tristan Thompson making a return and, you know, kind of turned their heads. They're like, you don't do this, bro. <laughs> he went from uh, kind of was like Doc Rivers went from like just being a like a an analyst commentator kind of guy to playing back in the league. I mean, obviously, remember how the Lakers picked him up for their playoff run last year, and he was getting yeah, he, he was getting he, minutes. And not gonna lie, he actually kind of locked down Jokic. Maybe he was on the PEDs then, bro. <laughs> Maybe we don't know how long it's been going on. Um, but... yeah, I think this that's a good place to move on. Yeah. Um, Obviously, like we'll be talking a lot more about these teams as we start ramping up for the the both the trade deadline and I guess like the the playoffs in the near future. Um, but speaking of the the playoffs, obviously 
there's a few teams that like have looked really, really good this year, but we still have some maybe some question marks about them. So, Hunter, I want to know if you think that these four teams, if they're contenders or pretenders, and then I'll give my my take mm-hmm. after you. So, and I want to hear your rationale behind it. And so basically, like, is this team more likely to make it to the conference finals or lose in the first round? Um, and so first, we'll start with the Minnesota Timberwolves. Yeah, I think we kind of probably are going to both have similar takes on this. I think this is a team that's very similar to those Utah Jazz teams that we were just talking about. I'm going to go ahead and say pretenders, especially with how deep the NBA is today. I really like Anthony Edwards. Uh, I like the role Cat has taken on. Um, you know, I, I like a lot of their periphery guys. Like, I love Nas Reed. I like Kyle Anderson. But I just don't think they have the the proper personnel to make a postseason run especially let's say you're you stay the one seed and you end up against an eight seed that either looks like let's say the los angeles lakers or the dallas mavericks or even let's say the golden state warriors if they put it together those are very scary opponents very veteran opponents that you know i think rudy gobert would get exposed by and i think that anthony edwards could struggle against i think no matter how good anthony edwards is in a series by himself he can't do it alone um and we just see time and time again Rudy Gobert get exposed. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I'm in a similar camp, sort of. Yeah, I would probably say pretenders for the Wolves. I think that... Okay, actually, maybe just to play to be a bit contrarian, I think that, look, while this team is, you know, like, they do rely on Rudy Gobert a lot, I think that they get a bit of an... I think Rudy Gobert actually gets a bit of an unfair reputation as like a guy who gets played off the floor in the playoffs because you look at those jazz teams no one on that team was playing defense except for rudy gobert he literally had to do everything in that series especially against the clippers right um donvin mitchell i mean we're looking at guys like jordan clarkson or like royce o'neill um guys who are like not really like defensive showstoppers right um and so Joe Ingles, another guy. Joe Ingles, not, this is a very solid defender. Uh, he's a bit overrated. He had one good series against Paul George, and that's it. But on this team, right, the whole starting five is, like, first of all, massive. This team is a big team, right? You have Mike Conley, Anthony Edwards, who's a big shooting guard. He's like 6'6", big wingspan, very versatile. Obviously, you have um, Jaden McDaniels at the three, Carl Anthony Towns and Rudy Gobert at the four and five. I mean, those are two seven footers pretty much rounding out your front court. Um, so I think that, you know, what what do we what what was the lesson we took away from the 2020 Lakers? Size matters in the playoffs. And I think that when you look at the Timberwolves, they're a big team. And that's I think the them... difference. Yeah, go ahead. I was gonna say I think transition is a big part of that. When you talk about transition play, ability to get back on defense. Um you know, the postseason is all about transition play and in the hard buckets. It's those two things mainly. And something that this team is going to struggle with, Carl Anthony Towns and Rudy Gobert do not get back on defense well. I mean, like, Carl Anthony Towns is a guy who can run a little bit, but Rudy Gobert cannot get back on defense. And yes, Anthony Edwards can, but you know Mike Conley, is he's older. He's definitely not as, as good of a defender as he once was. Um, you also have to talk about – sorry, I'm trying to think who their starting three is. Jaden McDaniels. Oh, yes, thank you. Jaden McDaniels, he can definitely get back on defense. But when you talk about like that 2020 Lakers and talk about like size, speed is what that combination of size and speed is very important. Foot speed specifically. You know, you saw 
JaVale McGee and Dwight Howard essentially become not utilized at all in the postseason because of that. They needed that the sp- I don't foot th- speed. I think that's not fair because they, they, they were not playing in the series against the super small ball Rockets where they had P.J. Tucker at center, which obviously— Or the Blazers. They only played against Jokic. They only played against Nuggets. Well, guess what? There's a lot of you know important big men that are, uh, you know, that are like— going to be there in the Western Conference gauntlet. I think that you also look at the bench and there's a lot of good pieces that I like. You know, you have Nas Reed, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, and, and Kyle Anderson really being those three key guys off the bench for this team. So as like an eight-man rotation, I actually do like this team quite a bit. I think they're a little overly reliant on Mike Conley. Like, I don't think they have another guy who can really facilitate offense like that. Um, So I am still bought in on the Timberwolves a little bit. But I guess we can we can move on there to talk mm-hmm. about the Thunder. Um, so what do you what do you think about the Thunder? This is the team, I think that is a real contender. I think look, they're two thousand eight Oklahoma City Thunder, right? Like I think you're talking about Jalen Williams as your James Harden, your Shea as your Russ and your Chet as your Kevin Durant. And they have a ton of talent surrounding them. Like, so this is a team I do believe can make a kind of like surprise run to the finals. Like, you know, they might have that in them. Okay. I'm also going to disagree with you here. I think that the, the Thunder are more likely to get knocked down the first round of the T-Wolves. I think that, you know, they, they don't have a lot of veteran presence there. We've seen what inexperience does to a young team in the playoffs. I think that, you know, if you're relying so much on a rookie like Chet Holmgren to really do so much for you in the playoffs, that's not really a recipe for success. I also think one other factor to consider is that I think Shea Gilgis Alexander's game is really built a lot around his whistle. Like he gets a lot of calls. He really thrives at the line. And I think that, you know, those calls, you don't get the same ones in the playoffs. And so like, I think that stylistically they might just sort of be shocked, um, by one of these these you know more vet savvy teams like a Golden State, a Los Angeles Lakers um, in the playoffs, and so I think that they they are more likely to get knocked out. But um, again, I, I like that we've been disagreeing on these. Yeah, I so. think the difference in the whistle though is yeah. like I think for example, you think of guys who typically are, are whistle, you know, guys who get the whistle like a James Harden, a Trey Young. Those guys are not good at finishing through contact. Shea is a very good finisher through contact. He's a very physical player. He's really good in post scoring, uh, very good in isolation scoring. Like, yes, is getting a foul uh, or drawing fouls a big part of his game? Absolutely. But he scores in every single other way and is still a tough bucket getter. And that matters sure. in the postseason. And I also think you talk about playoff experience. Yes, they don't have as much playoff experience as you'd like. Obviously, Chet Holmgren being a rookie, but. They still did were in the in season tournament last year, and they also when Chris Paul, um, or sorry, no, they were the eleven seed. They, they didn't make the in season tournament, did they? Play the play in tournament. Or sorry, play in tournament. I don't know. I said in season. They did um, make it. Yeah, they they lost. Yeah, they, they they did make the the play in tournament. And when Chris Paul was on this team, uh, guys like Lou Dort uh, and Shea got plenty of experience and got to learn under one of the most winning basketball players and one of the smartest basketball players of all time. Sure. I, I I agree. And the last thing I'll say before we move on to the next team, it's just like, 
I think that, you know, when you're down to the wire in a, in a tight series, maybe in the first round, things get a little dicey or you go down, you go down two one to series. It's really nice having a veteran on that roster who's there, who's been in similar situations and can kind of quell the storm that's brewing and can say, hey, guys, don't worry about it. Um, but when it's a bunch of young guys, I'm I get concerned. I'm not saying they might they could be, a you know, a, a conference finalist team. I just think they're more likely to, to flame out early. Um we can we can move on to the next team. Uh, the, the Los can, Angeles. I'll, I'll let you do it first, or I'll yeah, let you so, say yours. So for the Clippers, for the, what do for you the think? The Clippers. I think that I mean, there's too much talent on this team to be a first round exit. I think I can kind of even pencil them into being a, a conference finalist or at least a second round team at the minimum. I think that you know you you talk about guys, a bunch of vet players on this team who've really bought into a system, no accepted their role, like Russ coming off the bench, James Harden being a facilitator, um, assuming health, right? Um, even not healthy, even if they're missing one or two of these guys, I still think, you know, like a Kawhi Leonard and Russell Westbrook or Paul George and James Harden could take this team uh, to the second round. So uh, I think they're very well coached as well. Very fluid offense. I like a lot of their periphery guys. I, th- I like the Clippers uh, as, as real contenders. Yeah, I agree. I think Kawhi Leonard is healthy this year. I think... Kawhi has won that in every five years. He picks a year to just be ballistic. I think this is that year. Uh, I think that, you know, James Harden's legit. Paul George is legit. Like you said, even with some uh, health issues, I think this team still has a real shot. Um, And they've all been, a telltale sign for me is they've all been the most efficient they've ever been in their career. That's just scary to think about that, you know, they're just all providing such opportunities for each other. You can't double anyone on this team. Because I mean, maybe you can double Russell Westbrook. He'll make mistakes. That's just gonna happen. But if you if you double Paul George, like you have Kawhi Leonard and James Harden, you know, and vice versa, it goes for all three of them. Uh, it's just so dynamic, very scary, and they have so much depth and talent. Uh, you know, shooting, defense, uh, and big men. You know, Zubats is very underrated as a big man in this league. Absolutely. Yep. So I think we can move on to the last team uh, in the last topic for today and that is the new york knicks yeah i'll also say the new york knicks are, are real um contenders i think that og and anobi has been a perfect complement to this team and i don't think new york's done either i think that they're going to continue to make some some changes um just to shore up their rotation i think especially if they get mitchell robinson back this is a tough team man like they're gonna box the hell out of you for every rebound they're gonna fight on every possession defensively you know they're diving for every loose ball uh, that's just the type of team that Tom Thibodeau likes to coach. Um, and he's got the personnel for it. I think that Julius Randle's style is going to translate a lot better this year in the playoffs because he's been thriving more as a bruiser, as a physical guy under the rim instead of as a as a sharpshooter. And I also really like Brunson. I think he's legit. And I think he's a, he's a kind of 1A option you can have to, to carry your squad. So in my opinion, they're a dark horse contender. They can... I, I would not be surprised if they make the, the conference finals or the finals this year. Like, I think that that's the type of team we were looking at in New York. And uh, yeah, I'm big on the Knicks this year. Yeah, I think this is also another one where we agree. Like, I just think this physical style of play is so impressive because they don't foul. This isn't a team that fouls a ton. This is a team that just plays real old school basketball. And it's going to translate to the postseason. Don't be surprised if, uh, you know, New York ends up knocking out you know, Philly in a seven-game series where they play super physical, you know, bother and beat a little bit, and they end up 
you know, going up 3-1 in a series against them. Like, I, I can see something like that very much happening. You know, like you said, Julius Randle is playing from the inside. He's not going to just chuck up a bunch of threes in the postseason. At least I hope he won't. And Isaiah Hartenstein has really come out as a starting quality big man for this team with a lot of rebounding and defense he's been bringing to them. Yeah, and I think they can they can get even better in the trade uh, through the mm-hmm. trade market or through Definitely. like guys coming back. Like Mitchell Robinson is like a legit um, all defensive kind of center. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah. with that, I think that's a good place to call this episode. A bit of a long one, but a lot to sure. talk about. Um, so thank you all so much for listening, and uh, we'll see you all next week with more uh, NBA analysis. Peace. So with that, take care. Bye bye.